Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. have a Bible, go to John chapter 3. I'm just going to jump in for the sake of time. You'll get there or you'll scroll there really quickly through your Bible app. Um, John chapter 4, excuse me, verse 3. It says this, so Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had gone, uh, he he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, Near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, so it was really hot. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? 
His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Okay, so John chapter four, we are in a series called Encounter, Finding God in the Ordinary. What we're talking about at the garden for those that are visiting is we're looking at ways that spirituality can be cultivated and developed and uh, how do we, the question is how do we develop a vibrant spirituality in our day-to-day lives? Most of us, like we're coming back from India, we we might have had a mountaintop experience where God did something significant in our life, maybe it was in college, college, maybe it was on vacation, maybe it was a mission trip, but then we live the rest of our lives in the day-to-day, Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday, and so what do we do there? How do we cultivate a life with God in the nine-to-five as we drive the four-to-five, as we do the same emails over and over again? How do we develop that spirituality? Because that is where most of our life exists, does it not? And so my assumption is that is really important to God. And so we're looking at various encounters that you see throughout scripture from Moses to David to Elijah to the leper. And we're saying, what does this mean for us today in our ordinary lives as we figure out how to live our life with Jesus? So that's what we're talking about. So you're with me? Good. Um, So I'm just gonna talk through a couple of verses um, and and just give you my observations. It's a shorter message today. It's just gonna be my observations of this Samaritan's woman encounter with Jesus. But I'm also, gonna highlight um, the story. So we're gonna look at Jesus as a character, what we can draw from him, and the Samaritan woman as well. And so what I just read was pretty interesting, just a few verses, and I love this because it says, he had to go through Samaria. Here's a picture of, of um, you probably can't see it very well, but it's uh, ancient, first century Palestine, excuse me, and down at the bottom right, there's Jerusalem, um, and then if you just kind of cut through straight, not where the arrow is, there's, um, there's there's Cana, there's Sephora of Nazareth. So Jesus was in Jerusalem and he has to go back up um, towards Galilee. And here's the deal about that. The, the author wants you to know that he had to go to Samaria. Um, in the first century, a proper Jewish Orthodox Jew would do everything he could to go around Samaria, which is that section in the middle, and he would cross over the Jordan into Gentile territory and make his way through to Galilee. And it would take much longer, it'd be way more difficult, but that, they, they, they would do that because of the hatred they had for Samaritans. The Jewish community despised Samaritans. In fact, there was a rival that was ancient rival of a few hundred years. What happened was um, the northern part of, of Israel um, was conquered by the Assyrians and they, they deported a bunch of Israelites from the north and then some of them stayed there and married the women, the Israelite women. And what happened is they produced a, a different type of breed. That's what some rabbis would say. They, be, they created the Samaritan race, half Jewish, um, half Israelite, half Assyrian, and what they also did is they mixed religions, so they began to incorporate Jewish uh, theology with other kind of spiritual practices. It's called syncretism, and so because of that, um, the Jews, those that came back and those that weren't defiled by the Assyrians, they, they separated themselves from Samaria. That was the worst thing that they could do. They were spiritual heretics. They were a half-breed um, of, of Jewish uh, people. They, they just hated each other, and so the worst thing that you could be called in 
the first century um, by a Jew was a Samaritan. It was a derogatory word. So by all means, Jesus should go around uh, the Jordan and not enter into Samaria, but he has to go, and he goes through Samaria. And um, what you also need to know is that there's an ancient debate, and this is so exciting for me, the nerd, but some of you won't care. Um, But there was an ancient debate between the Samaritans and the Jews on where the holy mountain of God was. Where was the proper place to worship God? Was it in Jerusalem where the temple was built or Mount Gerizim where uh, the Samaritans built a separate temple around 400 BC where they worshiped God on that mountain because they thought that was the holy mountain and so they built a rival temple. You could just see the animosity. You with me? We're there? So he had to go through Samaria, and so he goes there, and I just want to point this out as well, because this is so important. Jesus is passing by to go to Galilee from Jerusalem, where he just hung out with Nicodemus, and he's going by, and it says that he was tired. And I know some of us, you know, don't like that verse, because it makes Jesus a little too human for us, but I want to highlight three things, actually, because if you were in this scenario, and if you're anything like me, this would have been a problem. It says that he was tired because it was noon and he'd been traveling all day. That's the heat of the day. It was hot. It says that his disciples went to go buy food, so he was hungry, and then the Samaritan woman comes, and he asked for water, so he was thirsty, and if I'm one of those three, I'm usually grumpy and angry. Anyone else, any other guys here that their wives tell them they need to snack on something because of how they're treating their wives? I was so excited when Ezra started eating solid foods, because now I know my wife is full of snacks that I would snack on throughout... When you're really hungry, you're eating that baby bell cheese, or whatever, anyways. (coughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're like trying those go packets they're like yogurt you're just sipping on it because you're so hungry but, but there's something important here it's that Jesus is hungry he's tired and he's thirsty and he's on his way to someplace else yet this experience and encounter happens I guess point number one where you are matters one observation that I'm gonna pull out of this text that I wanna invite you into is that wherever you are, wherever you go, wherever you are now, where you are matters. Spiritually ha- spirituality only happens where you are. Uh, some of you are like, wow, Darren, you're so brilliant. Yes, I am. But sometimes the most obvious is the most helpful, right? So where you are matters. The, the, the life you want with God will only take place wherever you are. So if you are a new mom, your spirituality has to happen with those realities. If you're, a, you're a, a, somebody looking for work and you haven't had a job for quite some time, we'll call you unemployed, your spirituality it does not hinge on you getting a job. If you are in school and you're studying to be a professor or you're studying to be a computer programmer, your spirituality won't take off. Your life full of generosity, full of mission, full of hope and joy and love won't take off when you get your job or degree. It happens where you are. And so the first point that we can see is that Jesus is gonna have an encounter and what he teaches us is that it doesn't matter if it's a pit stop or if it's on your way, wherever you are, God is up to something, either in you or in someone else and our job is to pay attention because spirituality happens when we pay attention. Are you with me? So let's keep reading. uh, Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? This is a note from John, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is 
who asks, excuse me, I missed my place, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from the, it himself, and his sons and livestock did, it, livestock did as well? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming out here to draw water. <clears throat> this is profound. Uh, this has so much insight. There, I could speak a, a whole series on this. But I just wanna give you some observations that I, I, I've picked up on. Um, uh, so first of all, it says the Samaritan woman. Now, what you don't know because we didn't teach this, but you've probably picked up on it because maybe some of you have read the Gospel of John. What comes before chapter four? Chapter three, that's good. Great work, you guys are awesome. Um, I'm so glad you're participating. Uh, what comes before this is an encounter with a guy named Nicodemus. It's a, Nicodemus is where we get uh, the John 3.16 passage. We learn about being born again. But what you have to know is that this story is contrasted from Nicodemus' story. Nicodemus was a powerful, respected, orthodox, theologically trained man, a Jewish ruler. If there was anyone who would get religious things, spiritual things, this was the dude, and he doesn't get it. And now we get a Samaritan woman who would have been seen as a religious heretic. She was unschooled. She had no influence. She was despised by the Jewish community. We'll find out that she was morally corrupt because notice she comes at noon, and what you need to know about her showing up to the well alone is that that sticks out for anyone reading it in the first century. A woman would go with other friends or other moms and women in the community in the beginning of the day in the morning when it wasn't hot or at the end of the day after they used up the water from the morning. She's coming at noon, meaning she's coming alone. That means she's isolated. That means she's alone. And what it most likely means is that she has been publicly shamed by the village and community she lives in. She alone, she's alone, so that's what we read. And Jesus has an interaction, a public interaction with him. And this is so taboo for any Jewish person, but especially rabbis. Rabbis in the first century said that you don't teach your daughters, your own daughters, the Torah, because that is inappropriate. It's a waste of time. You don't talk about spiritual things with women because that's, uh, that's, that's a waste of your time. One rabbi says teaching women the Torah is, is just as bad as having a prostitute sleep with you. That's how offensive it was. Are you with me? So when we apply a cultural lens to what Jesus is doing, uh, we recognize that something significant is happening. This is why there are all these little uh, 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 comments from John. <clears throat> but I wanna make this point before I talk about what happens. And this is so important for Long Beach. And if there's anything I share, hopefully this is, this is what you get. Jesus built bridges, not barriers, to life with God. Jesus built bridges, not barriers for life with God. 
He breaks cultural, social, racial, religious, and gender customs of his day to build relationship. This was offensive, this was terrible, this would have marked him as a particular type of person, but he breaks that down and he builds a bridge for relationship to interact with a woman who's clearly thirsty for life. You with me? So gardeners, we build bridges in this community because there are people that are desperate for living water that have been told they don't have access because of whatever gender stereotypes they have, whatever their sexuality looks like on the outside, whatever else it is. And I just have to say from here, we build bridges. Amen? Amen. Enough of that. Let's keep going. Um, Jesus says, he, he says, uh, he talks about this water interaction and clearly she doesn't get what's going on. In the Old Testament, there's so many metaphors used. Water is a meta- metaphor for the presence of God, the knowledge of God, the Holy Spirit, the salvation of God, um, and the grace of God. So w- Jesus is speaking in ways that she probably doesn't understand, but that's okay. He begins to explain it. And he talks about uh, this wellspring of water uh, that welling up to eternal life. And oftentimes when you hear this taught, you think, okay, Jesus is talking about some type of transaction that he's talking about. If you you say yes to Jesus, then you're accepted into heaven so when you die, you have eternal life, right? It's a salvation by transaction um, conversation. That's not what eternal life was in the first century context. And what I, I wanna explain is that when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's talking about the kingdom of God. When Jesus talks about eternal life, he's talking about a Jewish concept for what the life that is really life looks like, the blessed life, the righteous life, the life, the way God intended it to be in the first place. This is what we come to understand eternal life to be. Jesus is referring to a life that can be experienced here and now. That to know Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to practice the life of Jesus is to live salvation out. Are you with me? That to, to salvation is not just being saved from hell. It's about experiencing the life that God had intended us to experience in the first place, but that has been corrupted because of sin. And Jesus invites us to experience that on a personal level. Are you with me? Some of us, that's news. Um, Jesus does save us from ourselves, from sin. The cross does this, but he also ushers in a new era, a new um, age through the kingdom of God becoming present. Now, it's not fully here. It will become fully here when he comes back and we will be in the presence with him when we die. But I just wanna tell you that when we're talking about living water and this eternal life, we're talking about an invitation into a dynamic, loving relationship with the Father that we can experience here and now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lots of theology today. Thank you so much for paying attention. Let's keep reading. Um, Are we good? Am I just fire hosing? I'll just keep going. I mean, I only have a couple more points, seven more points. Just kidding. Uh, actually, it's true. I was working on my sermon this morning and Pete Jinta, the worship pastor, came in and I was like, he's, I was like hey, dude, I think I've got 10 points today. And he's like, you better not. Like, you better cut it down. <laughs> so I have five. Um, here we go. <clears throat> he told her, verse uh, 16. So he talks about these things um, and then he says, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband, you, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. So what you have said is actually true. <clears throat> Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. 
Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim to, that the place you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He's correcting theology. He's saying the Jews are right in Jerusalem. This is an ancient debate. But then he goes on, he says, yeah, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. <clears throat> for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. Then the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Wow. So a couple of things to, just to, to highlight. First, a theological debate. He does he does recognize, so what does it mean to worship in the spirit and truth? A couple of things. First of all, he's now saying that in the Old Testament and in, in kind of first century, even to this day, uh, if you go to Hindu cultures, there are gods over geographic locations. They believe that the spirit dwelled in a physical place. And so for the Jews, the presence of God was found in the temple in Jerusalem. For the Samaritans, the presence of God was found in their temple in Mount Gerizim. And so he's saying, look, that's, the Jews are right with where it is, but that no longer matters. God is spirit, he transcends the physical, and what I'm looking for are people that recognize the Father through the Son, and you'll worship wherever you go, because wherever you go matters, with me? Spiritual stuff, spiritual truth. Uh, and then he, he, he kind of addresses that, but then <clears throat> he, he responds to the request for water, to, to, say, to her request for living water, he, he says, hey, go get your husband. Is that an odd question? It's an odd question. And here's what I'm gonna insert into this. So this is me thinking, but I believe this is what the, teacher, the scriptures teach. How, how did Jesus know that she was a woman with multiple husbands? That that was maybe her issue in her life? How did he know? Holy Spirit, right? I think, because some of us are like, well, he's God. And okay, yes. But what we see time and time again is that the scriptures reveal that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do anything in ministry until he is filled with the Holy Spirit. What I would like to suggest is I think Jesus, hungry, tired, and thirsty, is paying attention to what God is doing, and the Spirit prompts him with a word of knowledge. And some of you, this is new, but this is what it means to be totally normal in the church and what it means to be Christian, to operate in spiritual ways. And the Spirit of God gives him a word of knowledge. And what is a word of knowledge? It's just knowing something about someone that you shouldn't know without the help of God. That's pretty easy, right? And it's totally normal. Um, I've seen it so many times. Our prayer team sees it all the time when we pray. Every Sunday there's words of knowledge happening all the time. It's totally normal. We went to India and it was totally normal for us to have a random word of knowledge, random stuff like, hey, a bull cart and an accident. Does that mean anything to you? Yes, I had an accident with a bull cart. I've been injured for 15 years. Let's pray, healed instantly. That's what word of knowledge is do. You know what words of knowledge does? It builds someone else's faith. And I wanna just, this is a, a teaching moment for Darren as our church learns to do spiritual things. Jesus had words of knowledge, in my opinion, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he operates in life with words of knowledge, and he's just learning to do what the Father's doing. That's all it is. And learning to trust that inside of himself as he speaks, and when he does, this becomes a different talk for this woman because she's exposed, she's morally corrupt. And anyone that's been uh, with somebody who you see as holy or, or, or you know, like, smarter or whatever, they, they bring up a topic, maybe it's a sensitive subject where you're exposed about something that you're vulnerable with, you change subject, don't you? 
Like she just immediately makes it about theology. I can see that you're a prophet and you just highlighted something about my life and you know something that you shouldn't. Let's talk about this over here. And notice what he does. Notice what Jesus does. He uses this gift through the spirit not to shame her, condemn her, or place blame, or tell her she's living the wrong life. Instead, he invites her into a greater story. He invites her to know that he is the Messiah. He doesn't tell this to Nicodemus, a man with all this power and prestige and knowledge. Instead, he tells it to a morally corrupt Samaritan woman. He's the Messiah. That's pretty powerful if you look at the story between the two contrasts. So point number three, this observation, because we, we don't have much time left. Love is always evangelistic. I hear this all the time. I'm gonna speak the truth in love. Okay, I totally get that you're speaking to the truth in love out of context. The only way to speak truth is to be in relationship with people. Can I just say that from the stage? That love does not have a disclaimer attached to it. And the goal isn't evangelism. The goal is love. And as a result, evangelism happens. This woman becomes somebody who will go and tell the rest of her community about her experience. And what I, what I want you to see is that Jesus now highlights her issue, her sin issue, her thirst, her brokenness. Let's just think about a woman who's been married five times. What type of longing does she have in her spirit, in her heart? What type of pain did she experience from maybe abandonment, from betrayal, from loss, from missing out? Maybe she doesn't have any kids. We don't know, but Jesus doesn't highlight the pain. He enters into the pain and he invites her in to to have a relationship with him. I am he. I am the Messiah. He doesn't do this to a Jewish context because it would have been so controversial with their interpretation of what the Messiah was, but he does it in a Samaritan context, which is really significant significant, because we'll see the Samaritans grab onto him and it says later on in the passage that the whole, a ton of people come to know Jesus. But Jesus enters in to her story, into her brokenness, to her isolation, to her pain, and meets her where she's at. She's thirsty for life and he says, you will have eternal life and never thirst again. Is that good news? It's good news. Fourth point, and this is again, I'm just giving you my observations because I, I was just gonna come out here and tell you what I thought. Jesus is water for the thirsty, not wine for the connoisseur. Jesus is water for the thirsty and not wine for the connoisseur. Jesus is interested in the morally corrupt and the outcasts and the bigoted and those with failed marriages, five times divorced, those that have no spiritual clue in their body. And he's interested in them. And I just have to call this out. I felt I needed to share this, that there is a growing industry in the church today that has become a modern pharisaic parasite. We've created pious walls of religious superiority, keeping those that need Jesus far from the well of life. We've created a class system of connoisseurs we can shop at churches, we can dabble in podcasts and religious leaders, and we can download our favorite worship bands like a commodity, all the while missing the very essence of the gospel, which is called into the dark places to save the lost and hurting and marginalized. This is a movement of beggars, and we've given, we are to give water out to thirsty souls, not pass out wine for pallets. 
but to those that are dying of thirst. Jesus is water for the thirsty. And at the end of the day, when you experience this Jesus, then he, when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, when you've experienced the real resurrected savior of the world, then your life, you know that life is empty without him and that all you have is him. And when you know this story, then your life and your story gets hijacked by that great story. And you can't help but tell your story to other people and testify the truth of what Jesus is in your life. And when that happens, your story becomes an invitation for others to experience God. Because what we see is that at the end of the chapter, it says this, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is what happens when you have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. There's so much to do in this passage. There's so much to preach out of this passage about eternal life, about the living water, but I wanna end here with the point number five, and this is probably the most important point for us, that your story or your testimony opens the door for others to experience God in their own life. And I have to preach this part because the generation that is the millennial generation that's kind of being exposed to the church life, that's stepping out into the world, you have to recognize this, that we are no longer going to be convinced of, 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 of proof that Jesus was raised from the dead. We no longer want proof about whether creation was six literal days or, or eons and, 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 and born with evolution. That's not important as much to this generation as it was to previous generations. It's not, I'm not saying it's not important, but I'm saying what people are hungry for is that you can invite them into the story that you've experienced, that all you do is show them what you've already experienced in your life, and you could just say, I was once blind, but now I see. I once couldn't hear, but now I hear. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Come, experience it for yourself. This is the gospel that doesn't end with the good news that you received and you're going to heaven. It, it begins with life being transformed as Jesus fills you with living water, his spirit, and you pour out your life for others so that when you go to your job, when you stop at the coffee shop, when you're walking your daughter, when you go to the park, when you go across seas and sit next to somebody for 11 hours, your life is overflowing with water and people say, I'm thirsty, where can I get some? And you say, let me tell you a story. You can have it right here. This is what happens when you encounter Jesus. Shall we pray? Invite the worship team up here. Let's just take a few minutes just to wait on the Lord. And I just want to invite you to close your eyes and just sit for a moment. And if you're comfortable, you want to hold your hands out like this in a posture of being open believe that God wants to touch some of us today and just speak truth into our lives. He wants to whisper our identities over us. He wants to um, invite us into a greater story. And there's, words can do some things, but God can do way more. So just invite the Holy Spirit to, to just bless you this morning. Just say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me?
Holy Spirit, would you fill me this morning? It says in Ephesians 5 that when the community of God comes together, it says that to be filled with the Spirit, and the, the verb is a continual present tense, and it means to be continually filled. So every time we gather, we're just inviting the Spirit to fill us. <clears throat> because we need the presence of God in our lives on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the rest of the week. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. keep our eyes closed. If you're experiencing just maybe a, a sense of peace or joy, you're just experiencing the presence of God in ways, would you just stand so we can just keep praying for you where you are? Just you feel the presence of God touching you. Sometimes it feels like a, a weight placed on you, a heaviness. Sometimes it just feels like peace. Sometimes you cry. If that's you, would you just stand? I know it's kind of hard to ask that, but would you, where you are, just stand. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. And all I want to do is just pray where you are more. So Lord, would you just fill my brothers and sisters with pray more of your spirit on them now. More of your presence, Lord. Come fill my brothers and sisters now. Just pour out your spirit on them. Thank you that you want to touch us, that you want to bless us, that you want to um, invite us into a greater story. Thank you that you're doing that now. That we want to worship you in spirit and truth. And we do that through proclaiming that you are, you are the resurrected Lord Jesus and that you pour out your spirit on the church to continue the ministry and life that you lived and live now. Thank you, Lord. We just pray more. So all I'm doing for those that are, are, are new, I'm just inviting the, the spirit to minister. I don't know what he wants to do in this time, but I do believe he wants to do something. And sometimes the best way is just to recognize that some of us are experiencing something tangibly. Some of you might say, oh, that's just emotionalism. Um, it's not. Sometimes it is, but we, we'll, we'll take whatever's there because we just want God to show up and do his thing. So we're asking God to pour out his spirit more. I want to pray for a couple of things. Some of you, um, when I talked about words of knowledge, you're something you got excited or interested. I just feel like God wants to um, open our, our church to more spiritual gifts. And I just want to pray for those that are hungry for words of knowledge. If that's you, why don't you just stand up and come forward um, you just, you want to be a part of stories where you're, you're able to, to know things that you wouldn't know. Well, that's, that can only happen because God gives you that gift, and then um, you practice that gift. So if that's you, just come forward. You want more, more of those things, we're just going to pray for those. That's awesome. See, look at that. We need to be, we need to raise up the church in the spiritual gifts, because it's for building the church. <clears throat> so good. So just close your eyes. We'll just hold our hands out. <clears throat> Lastly, if you're here um, and you don't have to stand up, but you can come and see me and you just feel like you're the Samaritan woman, um, I want you to come and see our, one of our prayer team members, preferably a, a woman with a prayer tag, and just say, I just feel like that. I just sense that there are women here that feel like 
as Anessa was sharing, that that's their story as well, that they've kind of been pushed aside, they've been pushed to the back, yet there's a voice inside of them that God wants to release. I wanna pray for you as well. So Lord Jesus, would you just pour out your spirit now? Thank you, God, that you're a generous God. It says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So Lord, we ask for your spirit to fill us, for the gifts to be poured out, for the building up of your church in your name, amen. All right, we're gonna have our prayer team come pray. Can we all stand together? And if you're up here, just stay here. We're gonna take a few minutes and pray over you. Don't leave until somebody lays a hand on you. The rest of us, we're gonna sing some songs. If you wanna stay, we'd love for you to stay, but I'll officially close our time. In the name of Jesus, be blessed. Live a vibrant life wherever you go. Be empowered by the Spirit to do the things that Jesus invites you into. It's through his power, because we need to take water to the thirsty, amen? Have a great week. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.